All right. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no, no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating an idol, an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will not I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Ariel. Um, just by way of introduction, um, Dr. Gary Bashirs is from Portland, Oregon. He is uh, overseeing the theology stuff at Western Seminary, and he is a pastor to pastors a mentor of mentors. Many of the people who lead you, he is leading and has been leading and shaping in beautiful ways. Spiritual father to many and all around fun guy. Um, Gary, why don't you uh, say hi and like get us into the text? Hi. <laughs> it is good to be here. Uh, this is one of those passages that's just, I mean, it's too personal because what he's talking about here when he says, knowledge puffs up, but loves builds up, is he's actually talking to know-it-all people, Bible experts. People love to show how much they know, and that's me. I mean, I've been doing this for, yay, seven decades, and I've, I've thought about a lot of things, and I hate being the Bible answer man, and I find myself doing it regularly. Like, what do you do with that? You know, because I come in and I, I know the answers that people are really struggling with. And I've got this way of just dumping information on people. Because why struggle? I can help you. You can be done with it. And what that does is it really can damage people because I'm belittling the struggles that they have. And that's not okay. In fact, he's calling it sin. Now, the particular context here is a context that we don't do here in the United States very much, and that is uh, the temples. In ancient Corinth, there were no restaurants. There were no event centers. The only place you got together for a gathering or for a feast 
was at the temple, and there were lots of temples to the various gods of the Greek pantheon. And so people, I mean, the people at Corinth, most of them would never eat meat unless they went to a festival, a feast, at the temple. So it's a pretty special place to go. Now you think, now we eat meat all the time. I mean, it's just routine for us. But for those people, like some of the folk I know in Uganda, they never eat meat. It's, it's only for rich folk. So to go to a temple would be a good thing. But here's the thing. When you go to the temple and be involved in these feasts, many times you're doing worship to one of those gods, those powerful spiritual beings. And so what the know-it-all is saying, you know, there's no god but one. Idols are just pieces of stone. We're freed from the authority of the gods. You don't have to worry about it. Like, just go and eat and enjoy. And by doing that, they were destroying the faith of people who have gotten out of the worship of gods, of the, whoever the Greek gods are, and they're trying to get out of that entrapment to the worship there, and people are leading them back into it because the thing you don't want to do is worship other gods. Now, he's going to go on and talk in chapter 9 about using his apostolic rights because he is an apostle and has amazing rights as an apostle. But what he's saying there is like Jesus Christ, I've got lots of rights, but I gladly give up the exercise of my freedom and my rights for the sake of helping people find freedom in Jesus. And he concludes by talking about money, and your liturgy prayer is great. I reject my right to use my money. I commit to using my money to serve others. That's... That's in a very practical way that point of using my rights for somebody else. In chapter 10, he's going to talk about how Israel was seduced into worship of the gods of that day, Baal and Asherah and Molech and Chemish and Astarte and Astaroth and all those, and became involved in worship of gods and practicing the ways of the gods with their sexual debauchery, with their power trips, with their exploitation of the poor and all those things. And he concludes to say, I do not want you to do communion with Jesus, and I sure don't want you to do communion with demons, because they're real. And then in chapter 11, he's going to talk about women and men doing prophecy and prayer together in the community and how that works out in a culture, but he's going to conclude with another feast. He began with a feast in the temple. He's going to include this section of the feast in another place, and that is the feast in the church. It's called the the love feast, where the people had come together with a feast like they would do in a temple, but again, now worship of God. But what was happening there is the rich people would come with lots of food, and the poor people would be there with nothing, and the rich people didn't care about the poor people. They feasted and got drunk while the poor people were starving, literally, and what Paul says is when you do that and you take the communion with Jesus, you're actually eating and drinking condemnation to yourself because you're acting like you're worshiping Zeus, not Jesus. You're keeping your stuff to yourself. You're feasting and not caring about your weaker brother. Mm. And when you do that, you're you're defiling, not caring about the body of Christ. And it's a very harsh warning. 
And what it is is remember that knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So if I know a lot or if I have a lot, I use my knowledge and my power for the sake of people who don't have a lot, mm. and I do it wisely by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Quick look at the chapter section. Amazing. So yeah, I love what he just did. Thank you for that. Chapter 8 through 11 is a whole new section. So we just finished uh, chapters 5 through 7, which is all about sexuality and relationships and marriage and singleness and divorce and how to be the family in a very embodied way together. And then uh, this section Gary just unpacked that we're going to dive into is this whole, it's this whole new chapter, a whole new chapter in Paul's mind uh, where he's, he's addressing this issue of meat offered to idols. So I would want to maybe, we're going to walk through the chapter, but I would want to ask you straight up at the beginning, like what is the, um, what's the parallel today? Like what is the meat offered to idol? Like you said, we don't have temples and I don't think you're talking about the idol in the Thai food place on the counter as you tip the waitress. So um, what is the equivalent of this meat offered to idols today? The, we, like you say, we don't have temples today. We don't have places where it's obviously worshiping other gods. It happens more subtly today. And I, you know, trying to think of some analogies. I, one of the analogies that we talked about earlier, which is real, uh, would Halloween, which you just, you know, just did that a while back. This is a terrible year. It was a horrible year. Mm -hmm. Not one kid came to my door. I love having kids to my door. I try to give the best candy on the whole block. little competition between me and neighbors. Not one kid came this year because, see, I love the side of Halloween that's about kids in cute costumes getting so much candy that they get themselves a sugar high for years. You know, their body's ruined by my generosity. I love that side of thing. I love it. I love every kid's, and I just interact with them and their parents that are out on the sidewalk and such. But see, there's another side to Halloween that I know about because of work that I do. And that is, that's the high unholy day of the pagan calendar. That's Samhain. And if you are involved in pagan worship of all different kinds, from Wicca to Druidism to all kinds of other things, that has a whole different connotation. I got to lead a woman to Christ here a number of years ago who was deep into that. And that year, the thing that made a difference for her was that she was slated to be sacrificed on Halloween in the satanic cult that she was a part of, intergenerational satanic cult. And she came to Christ. Wow in October. And I know about what goes on in those areas because I've worked with a lot of people. And that year, Tracy, that's her name, she's with the Lord now, we celebrated Halloween in a very different way. We celebrated Halloween in her apartment with a group of us that had been with her 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to keep her from being taken by the cult. 
And we stood around at midnight on Halloween in a circle, holding hands, saying, it's so good to be a part of the family of God. Come on. That was amazing. One of the highlights of my life was being in that apartment. But you know what happened? For Tracy and others that we worked with who were part of that group, that were part of the satanic cult, for them to see Christians thoughtlessly doing Halloween was extremely difficult. So I had to modify my delight of giving candy to kids and saying, God bless you, because I'm taking over Halloween for Jesus. Because I had to be careful with Tracy and other people around her, because I want her to be able to sing freely. I'm so glad to be a part of the family of God. Because see, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So Halloween, it's a mixed thing. Be thoughtful about it when you do it. Know who you're with. Know who your freedom could offend. But also, if you don't do Halloween, you offend little kids, and Jesus takes that very seriously. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I, uh, you guys got a great story. I don't think the 9 a.m. got that one. That's powerful. They didn't. Yeah, I didn't think about it. But yeah, Tracy, I mean, I, amazing, amazing work of God. And her motto, she posted in her window, prayer works. And she knew by personal experience the power of prayer. And I just celebrate her memory as a powerful woman of God who came out of the worst of the hellish places. The freedom of Jesus is amazing. But knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Yeah. So let's dig into that a little more before we um, round it off with some, like, what now type stuff. Because chapter four, I mean, sorry, verse four through six is kind of crazy. Um, what Paul is working with, his worldview of idols and gods behind idols and all of this. I think it would help us to kind of get, get a little clarity on this uh, before we get to uh, how to be communities of peace. Um, so verse four, if you can, uh, let's wait for this plane. So think, thinking of the story of Tracy, uh, read verse four. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that, quote, an idol is nothing at all in the world. And that, quote, there is no God but one. That's the knowledge we have. Great. Verse five. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, and look at the parentheses, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Verse 6, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Okay. So I want to know... Paul seems to be working with a couple different categories here. At one moment, he's saying, we know there's one God, and we worship the one God revealed in Christ. And yet, there are many gods, he says. So, like, is Paul, like, semi-polytheistic? Like, what is, what is going on here, Gary? Tell us what to think. Well, Paul is not a polytheist. Polytheist would be there's a bunch of different gods, and you go to the one that give you the benefit that you want. I call it the shopping outlet. You know, the, so you, if you want sunglasses, you go to the sunglasses store. You don't go to the Nike store. 
And in polytheism, there are a lot of different spiritual beings. I don't like the term gods because that's yeah. But they're different spiritual beings, angels, we could use that term, good and bad angels, and they dispense goods and services for a price. This isn't, that's not polytheism. That's, that's polytheism. That is polytheism, gotcha. Yeah, they're a bunch of different gods, they're all more or less at the same level, and you go to the god that you want for your service. So if you need something to bless your business, you go to certain gods, Baal maybe, if you need a better fertility because you can't have kids or your goats can't have kids, you go to Asherah. And you buy with your sacrifices the goods and services of that particular God. That's polytheism. Paul is not a polytheist. Yeah. But what he is saying is there's one God, Yahweh is his name, the maker of heaven and earth, and there's nobody beside him. Now, he's Trinitarian. There are three of them, three persons, that one God. But under him, there are a lot of angels. Yeah. And the biblical word is gods, but better would be spiritual beings. Yeah. They're created by God, but apparently some of them rebelled against God. We get a hint in Ezekiel 28 that one of these throne-bearing cherubs said, Why am I carrying the throne of God? I should be on the throne. And we think of him as devil or Satan. That may be what happened. We don't know. But there's a group of angels who rebelled against Yahweh, and they're stealing worship from Yahweh in order to destroy his reputation, his work, and his people. And that's us. That's what Paul's talking about here when he talks about sacrifice to idols. The idol is nothing. It's just a piece of wood or a piece of stone or a picture. But it represents a demon god. And he's saying don't worship them because then you start doing things their way. And you start worshiping power, which we know a lot about. We start worshiping money, which we talked about, and he'll talk about the next chapter. Or we start worshiping sex or something like that, and we make that the center of our life, and we sell ourselves for the sake of experiences or power. And he's saying, don't do that. Yeah. Okay, wow. So there's a worldview going on here yep. in the text where Paul does see a multitude of spiritual beings working against the power of God in the world. And, but he says there's only one true God. That's right. Um, and we who believe in Jesus are of the true God, and we know this. Like, we know this. So we can eat meat that's been offered to an idol, and it's got nothing on us. But there's like this, he calls it a weaker sibling. This, there's a weaker sibling among us that is right in between the two kingdoms. Yeah. And, and maybe coming out of... Uh, Molech worship or <laughs> coming out of, well, I don't know what the equivalent would be today. What would some equivalents well, be? Well, in the United States, there's really nothing equivalent because the gods here are hiding. The gods here work by silent deception. Baal is still very powerful here. Maybe not that specific god, but he's the god of power. And people are worshiping power. And you see it in the political arena. You see it in the business arena. We're going to power up and we're going to crush you. There's no cooperation I'm going to get the power and I'm going to crush you. You know, it's a crazy world where power is being used the way it is because Jesus said, use your power to serve others. But people who worship Baal or Zeus are into power and indulgence. 
can see that. So Zeus and, and Baal are hiding today, but I suggest to you they're very real beings, and people worship them in ignorance, where in the ancient world they worshiped in much more knowledge. But they're very real. And what we need to do there is be sure that we're worshiping Jesus and him only. So we talk about having communion that we'll do here in a bit. We're going to do communion as a, as a festival to worship Jesus. We refuse to do festivals that worship any other god, whether they be political gatherings, business gatherings, or religious gatherings. We will worship Jesus and him only. There was an Ispasota survivor here a number of years ago, and it was a survivor in China. And part of what they were doing and part of the survivor thing was they had to go into a temple there in China and do a sacrifice to the god of that temple in China. And one of the people involved in survivor was a committed Christian, a woman. And they chronicled her wrestling with, can I do this? Can I go into this temple and do a sacrifice, a food sacrifice, and then bow down to the god of this temple? And she, very publicly, she said, I can't do this. My face will hit the floor for nobody but Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I said, amen. I figured, you know, <laughs> that I... Uh, I thought that for her bigotry that she'd be voted off the island. In fact, she wasn't. In fact, she was treated with great respect wow. because she was serious about her religion. But I thought, you know, this is really good. That's, that's the thing. We, my face will hit the floor for no one but Jesus Christ. That's the commitment that we have. And we're not going to use that freedom, though, to hurt other people because knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So verse 7, you guys, um, just to round the corner here, Paul, again, says not everyone has the knowledge. Not everyone is fully confident in who they are in Christ and understanding the dynamic of the Father, Son, Spirit. Not everyone understands um, quite yet. We're all in different places. And so, so he says, some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, um, since their conscience is weak, it's defiled. And so I really want to like dr drill down on, on that because I think, um, let's wait for that. I think this idea of the weaker the weaker sibling. Who is that person? And, and it seems like Paul's whole goal is how best can we love that person into strength? Um, yeah, how, how, who, is, who is that person? And it, maybe it's me. Uh, maybe. The, uh, man, I grew up, and you did too, in legalistic environments. Right. And there was an old battle axe that told me, you can't do that because you might offend me. Well, I think that's put that person more on the side of the knowledgeable guy that Paul rips up here than on the weaker brother. And what I was always inclined to do after a little more about it is those people are those legalistic, pharisaic, judgmental folk to say, oh, you're a weaker brother, huh? You know, <laughs> no! Mm -hmm. I thought so. 
See, we're not going to give up our rights for the sake of some legalistic know-it-all, but I will give up my rights for somebody who's fairly new, say, out of a pagan cult or something, or somebody that's been recently out of a sex industry. I'm thinking of a particular woman that I was a part of helping her get out of. She was a what to call sex worker. And she came out of the praise of Jesus. But when she came into the church, she saw men in particular that were lauding their sexual freedom by the language they're using and some of they're talking about. And it was killing her. Hmm. Because they were flaunting their freedom. And it was really hurting her. And that's who the weaker brother is. It's a person that's new and don't have things figured out yet. And instead of helping them figure out, we flaunt our freedom and we break them in the process. We've got to, we're not individuals. We're part of a social responsibility where our responsibility is to Jesus first and then others around us and particularly the person who's struggling with things. And I don't want to flaunt my freedom in front of them. I don't want to use my knowledge that, well, it's just so simple. Like, what's your problem? Kind of stuff. I want to come along and be a help because knowledge puffs up. <laughs> Love builds up, and that means I got to process with people where they're at. That's the goal. Yeah, and so just to kind of bring it home, uh, there's a lot of talk now. Uh, I can't think of a time in my life where this is more of an important message to hear. There's a lot of talk now about rights and like my rights and like what I what I can or can't do, and um, so the point where we're unloving about them, and I I love being right. <laughs> Like, I really like that I think my sources, like, the things I read have informed me correctly. Um, and there is definitely a responsible way of going about researching things. But at the end of the day, those rights, I have to make a choice between um, rights and love quite often. And so I would love for you, Gary, to kind of bring that home. Like, my question, that way I have it written, as Americans... Our rights are super important to us. And how might this get in the way of the loving relationship that Paul is asking the church to get into um, here in this letter? One of the places where I see this a lot, of course, is in the political arena. You know, we've just been through this election, incredibly divisive. And what I'm seeing is Christians who say, I worship Jesus Christ, who have a, apparently a higher allegiance to somewhere in the political spectrum. Mm. Whether well, it's a progressive Democrat or the centrist Democrat or the anti-Trump Republican or the pro-Trump Republican, uh, we are of Donald Trump. We are of AOC. We are of Biden. We are of, you know, Mike Pence, whatever. And in that political opinion, we end up denigrating we end up contempting, we end up eye-rolling at other believers in Jesus Christ mm. and we deem them stupid or manipulated or something like that. That's sin. Yeah. I mean, that's wow. sin. That's Have your opinions, yes, but you always are humble in those opinions. It seems to me it does not mention in the Bible anywhere about public immigration policy. How we treat the stranger is clear, but political immigration policies and all that kind of stuff is not a biblical issue. We can have different views on that. 
and argue it openly, but always do it as followers of Jesus Christ looking for the commonality that we have. And when we take the cup here in a few minutes, we have to have the unity of Jesus and the rich, beautiful diversity that comes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which he's going to celebrate in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The diversity is enriching if it serves the unity that we have in worship of Jesus and following his way, which means to look for the hurting person, the poor person, the racially defiled person, whatever it is, and build them up. Because while knowledge puffs up, love builds up and gives up my right for the sake of the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the poor. That's the goal that we have always. Come on. That's, that's amazing. So... Yes, that's great. We're going to come to the table with that. <laughs> come to the table because of that. That's literally what Paul is doing in the text. It goes all the way to chapter 11, where he's like, here's how to eat together rightly. And so Scott, um, our embedded church planner, he's going to come and lead us in eating and drinking. And so let's invite the Holy Spirit to come in and shine a light and, and maybe take a deep breath and ask, Heavenly Father, like, where am I allowing anger or rightness to take the place of love or take it out of the realm of American partisanship and just take it to your freedom to spend the weekends the way you want or whatever, whatever it might be. Well, how, how is my Holy Spirit? Show me Evan right here under this tent. How is my perception of what I'm free to do? How is that getting in the way of what you want? and how you want me to love my wife well, my kids well. As you're just considering that, I'll read verse 9 over you again. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. We want to strengthen the weak with love. Jesus, you're the king. Christ the king Sunday. You're in charge. I'm not. And yet you want to partner with us in loving well. Show us our blind spots, even if it's a little bit painful, so that we can see where you've been wanting to work, but we've been wanting our own agenda or self-expression or whatever it might be. When we started today, we started with a prayer meeting and we prayed over Gary and we asked him, what's a prayer request? Like, what, what's the one thing? And he, all he had was the last line of Psalm 139. He's like, I, I just want God to search me. I want God to search me and to see if there's anything in me that doesn't belong. And, and so we can follow that. That's something praiseworthy. And so uh, for 30 seconds, let's just, let's just stay in the spot of just thanking God for the truth spoken over us. And then we're going to eat and drink. Scott's going to come up and lead us right now. Yeah, and as you're in this space of just asking the Spirit to, um, to reveal um, what rights 
of ours that we can give up. Um, would you just take the bread? And with the bread in our hands, um, I just think of what Paul, um, in this letter, commends the Corinthians to do is to be careful yeah. with your rights. Um, this is his command to all Christians. Um, it's not a sign of, of weakness. It's not a sign of um, compromising on our own beliefs. Um, it's actually the strength of the cross to sacrifice our rights for the sake of others. Um, so yeah, as you're thinking of what specific areas um, in my life am I holding too high and need to give up for the sake of others, um, let's take the bread together. Mm. And now with the cup, um, I just think of how as we take this meal together as a family, this is... Um, Jesus lived example of giving up your rights for the sake of others. Jesus and Paul both didn't just teach us to give up our rights. They showed us what it looked like by giving up their lives um, for the sake of God's family. And Paul writes about this in his letter to the Philippians. Um, to the church, he's, he's saying, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So as the church, we are to have the same mindset as Jesus. And he goes on to say, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what the meal of Jesus is. All of us um, having equal access to Jesus. There's no one at the head of the dinner table. Jesus is the meal itself, so everyone has equal access to that meal. Um, and so we give up our rights that put ourselves ahead of others, the privileges that we have. Um, we give them up so that others can have equal access to Jesus and his presence. We take the, the weaker brother or sister, the poor, the marginalized in our communities and we lift them up so that all people can be equal together. So as we do that, as we think of Jesus' example, the life that he lived to show us how to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others, let's take the cup together. Yeah, so Jesus, we thank you that you made the way for all people to have equal access to you, that you have lifted up the lowly 
and brought them to places of honor because you did it yourself. You are the God who lowered himself to be exalted, to be raised up. And thank you for inviting your church, your people to do the same, that we would lower ourselves so that your people can be lifted up together and be with you. We thank you for that and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful.